morning. I want to welcome those of you from Africa. We are so thankful you are here. We enjoy our relationship as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. May God bless all of you. Over the years, God has given me the privilege of having some wonderful experiences of God's love. Some moments when I'm sitting in the mountains or sitting in my backyard or sitting in my car where the scenery around me, the colors, uh, the beauty, uh, the order in, in God's creation or what I'm seeing before me uh, just jumps up and grabs me and I have this overwhelming sense in those moments that God is present, that God is here, that God is real. And in the order and the beauty of it all, what God is saying, look how good I am in creation, and Rabbi, I am good to you in the same way. I love you. Spiritual experiences. I have those experiences when I pray. I had one on Friday of this last week. But the most vivid, dramatic spiritual experience I've ever had took place just a couple weeks after my first wife died. I was in the laundry room. I hate laundry. And I had this overwhelming sense of grief, despair, thinking, how in the world am I going to be a single uh, father? How in the world am I going to continue to lead Wheaton Bible Church? How can I put this together? How can I make life work? And I was almost choking with anxiety. I was, if you will, I, I, I was right on the edge. And then God spoke to me. Not audibly, but in my spirit. And God said, I love you, and I'm going to get you through this. And he did. And that was over 12 years ago. And that moment, that spiritual experience changed my life. Spiritual experiences is one of the hottest, most popular, most sought after subject in our popular culture today, especially among young adults. Researchers tell us people don't want religion they want spiritual experiences. So today, I want to talk to you about what Christianity has to say about spiritual experience. I want to develop this. And some of you are thinking, oh, wait a minute, we're in a series on the promises of God, and you're talking about spiritual experience. So let me explain. Everything I'm about to say, the passage we're going to look at, is predicated, it's built on, it assumes the promise of the love of God. And rather than coming in the front door and talking and unpacking that promise of the love of God, I want to come in the back door. And I want to look at how Paul works out this promise of the love of God in his heart. And how he wants you and I to do the same. So we're going to turn now to Paul's letter to the churches surrounding Ephesus. 
in Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul's second prayer in Ephesians. It's my most favorite of all the prayers of Paul in the New Testament. So I want you to stand with me as we hear from God as I read his word. Paul writes, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge and to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You may be seated. This is a prayer about spiritual experience. And the point of the prayer is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you should seek spiritual experiences of the love of God. So we see this in this prayer. Paul prays in these verses that in our inner being that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. And he prays that we would grasp and we would know this love and that we would be filled, we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Uh, Those are words, those are descriptors of experience, spiritual experiences. What Paul is saying is it's one thing to know God, it's another thing to feel him. It's another thing to experience him. It's another thing to enjoy him and delight in him. Now, there's an issue here that I need to address because this is Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul is praying that you and I as followers of Christ, as believers of Christ, would experience these things. But in the first two chapters, he has told us that the moment we come to Christ, we possess these. That Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, indwells us the moment we believe. Uh, that we know the love of God. In chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23, I believe, Paul talks about being full, the fullness that we enjoy in Jesus Christ. Now here, though, Paul is praying that we would experience what we already have. Uh, So what's going on? Well, there's only one answer. And that is at one level, we have this, but at another level, we don't. We don't have this. And Paul is praying that we would feel him, that we would delight in him, that uh, the reality of our standing in Christ would be our experience. It's the difference, in other words, between reading about honey and learning as you read that honey is sweet and tasting honey. Paul wants you as a believer in Jesus Christ to taste the honey of the promise of God's love. 
And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ or you're not quite sure or you're on some, or you're on a spiritual journey, man, I want you to know that I am so glad you are here this morning. Because I want you to see why Jesus is unique and what Jesus offers you in terms of spiritual experience. So today I want to address uh, two questions, the why question and the how question. Along the way, uh, pretty quickly, I'm going to talk about the what question. What is this? What does Paul mean by spiritual experience? So let's start with the why. And by the why question, I mean, why is spiritual experience like Paul is praying about so very necessary? And the very first answer is what I just said, because Paul prays for it. Paul prays that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ would have spiritual experiences. He's seeking it in prayer. And what I want you to understand is uh, he's not praying for some sort of spiritual elitism or for people that are spiritually elite as if those people exist. No, Paul is praying this for all of his readers, that all of his readers, these first century precious, wonderful people, would experience the love of Christ. He prays that Christ would dwell in their heart, that they would be filled and grasp and on and on this love. So what is going on here? Well, imagine, let's say pretend, that I'm really, really wealthy. And I, yeah, I know it is funny. And that I love you so much, I give you a gift. But you don't pay much attention to it because you know I'm a pastor and you assume the financial gift is rather small. So actually, you put it away, you forget about it. You, you know, life is busy, life is coming at you hard, and you don't pay any attention to it. Then suddenly you get sick. I mean, you get really, really sick. And as you're recovering, you remember this gift. And so you go and, and you look into it and you discover it's an enormous, a fabulous amount of money. And you're shocked. And you've had this amount of money all along and you've been drowning in medical bills. You see, you were rich, but you were living poor. And Paul is saying, and this is the point of the prayer in this context, is that too many Christians do that. We're rich, but we live poor. Too many of us never get around to tasting the honey, the honey of the spiritual experience of the wonderful promise of God. So Paul prays about it. There's a second reason. If we want to develop a rationale for spiritual experience, and that is it is simply the biggest need in your life. It satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. It's how you become a great man or woman. A great person in the kingdom of God. And Paul gets at this in two different ways. First of all, if you go back to verse 14, he says, I kneel. I kneel before the Father. Now this was not the normal posture of prayer in the first century. 
among Jews or Christians. They stood when they prayed. So when Paul begins this prayer and he says, I kneel, he's describing intensity, concentration, focus. He is saying that this subject of you having spiritual experiences uh, in your inner being, Christ dwelling in your heart, is so important. I'm getting down on my knees. But we see this uh, in a second way. I mean, these people lived in a brutal world. Life was tough and dangerous in the first century. These people faced constant danger from disease, death, invading armies, from crime, from poverty, crop failure. Life was precarious. But Paul, in this prayer, doesn't pray about any of that. He prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. And so what Paul is saying is he's saying, you think your financial issues are your biggest issues. Uh, You think safety is your biggest issue. Uh, You think what's going on in your family is your biggest problem. No, no, no. Pressing the wonderful love of God into your heart is your biggest need. Paul wants you to taste the honey. He wants you to experience Jesus Christ. For example, let's take Joe. Joe is a Christian. Joe knows God exists. He believes Jesus died for his sins. He believes Jesus was raised from the dead. But a large chunk of the time, Joe is an angry guy. He's short with people. He's got a short fuse. Uh, Sally's a Christian, but Sally really struggles with anxiety. Uh, She's always worrying. It's like spiritual ADHD for her. Uh, Susan and Fred are really hung up about appearances. How they look, where they are, what they're they're doing, all of that. So while they are rich in Christ, they are living poor. They are dominated by the world. They're dominated by their circumstances. And they have settled for an informed mind without an engaged heart. Don't do that. Don't settle for an informed mind without an engaged heart. Paul is praying that that would change for us as believers. Now third, the third reason spiritual experience is so important, so vital, so central to the Christian faith is it gives your life balance. Nuance. One of the reasons I became a Christian is because the Bible is the most honest, most insightful description of humanity in the world. I was stunned by how realistic the Bible was. 
about tragedy, loss, sin, suffering. The Bible doesn't pretend. For example, the Bible teaches that you can do everything right and not even remotely sense the presence of God. Now follow me. Uh, You can attend church, you can pray, you can read your Bible, and you feel like God is a million, million miles away. And you will only make things worse if you don't expect that and prepare for that. I mean, think of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, this great godly man, a Jewish prophet. But he was so overcome with a period of darkness that he asked God to take his life. Isn't this the point of the book of Job? That the righteous do suffer? That bad things do happen to good people? And this creates all sorts of turmoil in our hearts. And we toss and we turn and we fume and we fuss. And so no wonder the psalmist describes this in Psalm 42, when the psalmist cries out loud, Oh, my soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed, out of sorts, off-center, within me? That's part of the experience for those of us that know Jesus. Because in these dark moments, God is going to teach you some things about your heart that you can't learn in any other way. Now, that's one side. On the other side, we have Ephesians chapter 3. Paul is praying for rich periods of joy and delight and when we sense God's love and we feel it and it's just flowing through us. We sense God's presence, God's reality. Now, the desert does not deny the delight. These are not contradictory experiences. The Bible is teaching us We need both to grow. But as one observer put it, the problem in our churches is that in our churches, we prepare people for one or the other, the desert or the delight, but never both. So word-oriented churches churches that have Bible in their name don't call people to profound spiritual experiences. But spirit-oriented churches uh, don't press people about the reality of the desert. Periods of deep dryness and heartache. And so I wonder, I wonder aloud this morning, could we at Wheaton Bible Church be a place where we both expect and experience both? In our life groups, uh, can we understand how normal this is, that there's going to be people that are having, at any given moment, some incredible experiences of the love of God. God has shown up. They've seen God do this or do that, and other people are going through a desert, and both exist simultaneously. 
We have good days, we have bad days. I wonder, can you as a follower of Jesus Christ live with this balance, this tension, this both and? So let's now move from the why. Why spiritual experiences are so central. Why Paul gives this incredible, beautiful uh, prayer. A prayer, by the way, that I have memorized and I've been quoting daily for a long period of time. Actually, it's one of four passages that I quote every morning to set up my devotional time. And I meditate on it and I think about it and I press it into my life. That, that God, out of his glorious riches, would strengthen me with power through his spirit and his inner being. I pray it for you. That Christ would dwell in your heart by faith. So, how can we receive this? Well, there's a bunch of different things I could say here, but l- l- let me keep it simple and, and uh, briefer. And let me mention two ways we can receive spiritual experiences. And that is, and I'm stating the obvious, and I'm sort of restating what I have said, is that you pray about it. You prayerfully seek these experiences. Now, why do we pray? We pray because these experiences are a gift. You can't earn them or merit them or deserve them. Now let me unpack this a little. In the Bible, the heart, and Paul is talking about the heart here, is not just the seat of emotions, it's the control center of your entire life. It's the seat of your mind and your will, as well as your emotions. So when Paul prays that Jesus would dwell in your heart by faith, He's not talking about a vague sense of Jesus. He's praying that God would reveal Jesus to you in his beauty, in his glory. And that in thinking about the fact that Jesus in his beauty and his glory left heaven and what that must have been like, and you thinking about Jesus becoming a man and living a perfect life, in the midst of a sinful, corrupt world and what that must have been like. When you think about the rejection, the ridicule, the mockery Jesus experienced, when you think about his torture, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that Jesus is at the right hand of God, Paul is saying when you press that reality into your life, then Christ will dwell in your heart by faith, not the stock market. Not the behavior of your kids. Not your disappointments. Not this new dating relationship. In addition to prayerfully seeking it, Paul here tells us to aggressively wrestle for it. This is the word, this interesting word, grasp. That you would grasp how wide, how long. Grasp is a word that in the Greek means to overtake someone and to wrestle them to the ground. So Paul is saying the way we get to spiritual experiences 
is that you wrestle truth to the ground. And you do that in your uh, devotional life. You do that as you're listening to messages. You do that as you're reading books. You do this in your life groups as you listen to other people. And you're wrestling, you're thinking, and you're pressing the truth of God into your life and how it relates to your life. So let me show you an example of this. Let me show you an example of, of, of just how I do this. This example isn't original with me. But in the Old Testament, we have a beautiful metaphor about God's love for us. And so I want you to look at the metaphor and then think about the implications. Let's look at Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast, the nursing baby, and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget. God says, I will not forget you. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands and your walls, the walls of your house, the walls of your city are ever always before me. I always know where you are. Now, so we think about this. We grasp it, we wrestle with it. And what does that mean? Uh, well, we stop to think, you know, one of the biggest problems in our lives is about 4.30 in the afternoon, most days, after a crazy busy day, and, and we're tired, and we've had some disagreements, or there's something cooking at home that's not particularly present or pleasant, about 4.30 in the afternoon, we've really forgotten about God. And unconsciously sometimes we think depending on what's going on that God has forgotten about us you know he's moved on to somebody that's more interesting as Eugene Peterson says but what is Isaiah 49 teaching us what's the point of the metaphor well the metaphor of this woman's intense love for her nursing baby is that she would never ever forget this baby. She would never ever lose sight of this baby at 4.30 in the afternoon or 10.30 at night. And even though that's possible, let's say a cocaine mother, a cracked baby, my wife as a pediatrician is being, dealing with a couple of these recently, even though it's possible that a a small few of women might forget about their baby. The vast majority are not, man, they're all in. This is my baby. I love this baby. I will never forget about this baby. But God is infinite. And in his infinite, unfailing, unwavering love, the promise and the point of the metaphor is God is never going to forget about you at 430. Never. And you wrestle with this and you say, okay, then why am I feeling this? Or why do I act this way? Why, why am I frustrated? Why do I want to retreat? Why do I want to isolate? And you're pressing, you're aggressively wrestling with the truth of God's word. You're grasping. Grasping. And to the extent you do, you know what happens? It fills your heart, your inner being. And Jesus is there, dwelling in your heart by faith. 
and your thoughts, your attitudes, your emotions, and your behavior change. You're transformed. Now, let me conclude with this. Paul goes on, and he, after he tells us we grasp, we wrestle, he tells us we are to grasp and wrestle specifically with four dimensions of Jesus' love. He begins by saying, grasp how wide the love of Jesus Christ is. And this is the point of the book of Revelation. People in heaven worshiping Jesus from every tribe, every tongue, every corner, every aspect pocket of the world all of us together in heaven and the point of revelation is god love is so wide so broad that it will include all who believe whether a self-righteous moralist or a murderer or a terrorist in the amazon jungle uh, there is a beach that always moves because of the current in the river is so strong. The name of the beach is Palm Beach. Decades ago, I mean some decades ago, missionaries landed on that beach, were there just briefly when they were all speared to death by tribesmen including among that missionary group were a couple graduates of Wheaton College. I stood on that beach with one of the tribesmen who had murdered the missionaries. I don't remember his name, but I was there with he and his wife, and her name was Diuma. And we were talking. We were in a wooden canoe, and we got out on the beach and they started to tell me their story and I could not believe what God had done in their lives since they converted to Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you this tribesman, this murderer's smile was as big as the sun in the Amazon jungle. Jesus' love is so wide that no one, no one is beyond the reach of it. But Paul says, grasp its length. Not only is Jesus' love infinitely wide, it's infinitely long. From eternity past, into the present, into eternity future. If you know Jesus Christ, God has known you from eternity past. He, he has built into you. He's carrying you right now in the present. And he will always, always love you into eternity future. It will never end. And that's hard for us to get our minds around. But when we stop and we grasp it, if we press it into our heart, then that really helps us. For example, you may not know why you're going through what you're going through. You may not ever understand what it means. It may not be revealed. But one thing when you think about the eternal, the length of God's love, is you know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. Because he died for you, and his love for you is unending. And when we think about that, we start to think, okay, why am I, why do I say these things? Why do I think these things? Uh, height refers to the glory, the infant glory, majesty, and splendor of Jesus. Grasp it. 
understand that to know Jesus Christ means that you will partake in the glory of God throughout eternity. You will not only live for eternity, you will live in the glory of Jesus Christ. I think my favorite is the depth. Grasp the depth. How deep is Christ's love so deep that he became a man? So deep on the, that on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's hell. When Paul says grasp the depth of Christ's love, he's saying that think about the hunger and thirst that Jesus experienced as a man, even though he was God. Uh, think about the, uh, the rejection, the hatred of Pharisees and other religious leaders. Uh, think about people spitting in Jesus' face. I mean, think about it, imagine it. The crown being pressed into his head. A nail's been hammered into his hands and to his feet. Grasp it, that Jesus has come not only to die for you, but to raise you to light, to adopt you. As his children, he has sent the Holy Spirit to live inside you. Jesus has come not merely to forgive you, but to give you eternal life forever. So why do you feel so sorry for yourself? Why are you so fearful? Why is Christianity no big deal to you day in and day out? Paul wants you to enjoy the most dramatic, the most profound of all spiritual experiences. The reality of the Lord of the universe dwelling in your heart. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I just find this passage to be overwhelming personally. The invitation, the reality the experience here, God, leads me to say thank you and to pray that this would be our experience, that we would know you. In Jesus' name, amen.